pastors would love to spend some time with you, connect with you, hear your story, and tell you a little bit more about life at Redeemer. So those are my announcements, and now I will get to the sermon. But before that, this one's for free. This is not in the notes. Uh, Just to bring you into the heart of a pastor on a Sunday morning, I woke up this morning, and the critical voice said to me, it's not enough. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, just get to Jesus. And so I want to thank the worship team for getting us all to Jesus this morning. The Jesus per minute was just rich in that singing. Um, and our hearts are ready, I believe, to hear what the Lord has for us in his word. And so that's what we're going to do with the sermon is get a little bit deeper in the water. So if you're not in with us yet, take off your shoes, get comfortable. Um, the water is warm. Um, but one other thing before I begin the sermon, I'm going to ask you to do something a little, a little different this morning. A major theme is going to be prayer. And sometimes what can happen when uh, there's like a familiar theme or a common theme is all the things you know about that thing or all the ideas you have about that thing can come in the room. They can come into your mind, they can come into your heart, and then they can kind of crowd out whatever thing you might hear. And so I want you to do me a favor and just kind of hold your hands out for a second and just... Um, imagine everything you know or have heard about prayer kind of sitting in your hands and feeling the weight of it there and then kind of just put it next to you. Don't put it on your neighbor. So if you have a neighbor, maybe put it in front of you, but um, just put it down for a second. And now I'm not asking you not to think critically. I'm not asking you not to challenge anything that I say if it's if it's different than what you've heard. But what I'm asking you to do is just make some space. Just make some space for the Holy Spirit this morning, because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. Is that fair? All right, good. And then with that space we've created, um, there aren't the slides this morning are just going to be questions. And so these are questions that I want you to write down, take a picture of, and take away, and then kind of do that again this week. Make some space with the Holy Spirit and, and look at these questions. So that's what's going on here. I'm going to read this text, which is going to come up on the screen. I'm going to pray and then dive in. So that should be coming Mark 9, 14 through 29. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about with them? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's 
dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us a treasure in this word, that you sent your son and that it was recorded, the things that he did, and that we get to look at them and we get to glean from them and we get to immerse ourselves into this story and we get to consider how it might speak to us 2,000 years later. Lord, thank you that you are among us, have been among us even before we came and will continue to be among us in powerful ways. And so in this moment, I pray that you would just continue to illuminate your word, illuminate your will, illuminate your heart for us from these pages. Lord, for those that couldn't be with us this morning or who are sick or who are battling illness or other things that are going on in their lives, Lord, we pray that you would be with them in a special way as well. And Father, be with me. Empower me. And where I'm weak, you be strong. And where I have gaps, you fill them in. And Lord, let it be helpful to the hearer of your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we're going to begin this morning Jeopardy style. Uh, I believe they're still looking for a host, so if anybody knows anyone, let me know. So raise your hand or get ready, hit your imaginary buzzer, and respond to this clue I'm going to give you. Are we ready? All right, in the 1970s, this Atlanta-based brand ran a campaign with the slogan, It's the Real Thing. What is Coca-Cola? Bing, 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 bing. That is correct. Thank you, Kylene. I was looking at Joe. I thought he was going to get it. No, no shade. Uh, Coca-Cola is correct. It's the Real Thing campaign was their way of consolidating changes they had made to their brand as they entered the 1970s. And their brand manager at the time said it was a new direction that he, quote, responds to research which shows that young people seek the real, the original, the natural as an escape from phoniness. I believe this research would probably still ring true today. And in some area of your life, you're already resonating with this, this idea. We are all born with a desire for the real thing. We're born with this desire for connection, for love, for authenticity. And this morning, if we dig around in the story, I believe what we'll hear is a powerful invitation from Jesus himself to have the real thing. What we'll hear is Jesus inviting us into an intimate relationship with the God of all creation through prayer. And so the big idea this morning then is this. Jesus invites us to see our faith and our works come alive through the power of prayer. Jesus is inviting us to see our faith and our works come alive through the power of prayer. And we're going to unpack that by digging around in this story. So for context's sake, we need to take a step back. The story picks up with Jesus coming down from the mountain to find an argument happening amongst the teachers of the law, the disciples, and a crowd. On the mountain, what's just happened in the story before is that he's been transfigured or transformed. It's this incredible moment in the scriptures where Jesus becomes intensely white, radiantly white, the scriptures say. And Moses and Elijah show up to hang out for a bit. 
And then this voice from a cloud speaks and says, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And then Moses and Elijah disappear. And so he comes down with these three disciples and he says, Don't tell anybody what's just happened up there. And while that's happening, this thing is happening down. And just as Pastor Drew led us so beautifully in understanding this week, when there's vulnerable people, vulnerable situations, Jesus is drawn near to them. And we see that again happening this week. And so he asks, what is the argument about? And we don't really get an answer, but we do understand what the problem is. The problem is there's a boy who's been possessed by a demon. And his father has brought him to Jesus in his desperation. Now, again, take another step back. In Mark 6, Jesus has already given the disciples the authority to cast out demons. And they've already done so to this point. So they're probably a little bit unnerved as well of why isn't this working? Why can't we cast it out? There's a problem they've run into. And so Jesus in verse 19 says, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? If we get curious here, if we get curious about what Jesus is saying and and we're honest about our own lives, then I think there's two postures Jesus wants to address in us this morning and wants to pull out for examination about our prayer lives. The first is a posture of faith. Now, it's not clear fully which group in the story Jesus is talking to. It doesn't say he said to the teachers of law, and it doesn't say he said to the disciples. He just says this thing out loud. So we'll talk about them separately. On one hand, you have the teachers of the law. A word you might use to describe the activity of this group is piety, which is just a big word for saying they're ritualistic or they're religious. Their activities driven in that way. This is a group of people that knows the law inside and out. They know the law of Moses. They know the Torah. It's been committed to their memory. And we see them throughout the Gospels challenging Jesus, trying to trip him up, trying to catch him in these situations. Their faith can be described as very religious, very dutiful, very faith-filled in one sense. But something is holding them back. And I think what's in question here is not necessarily their belief, but what's in question here is how their belief in God has limited their beliefs about God and what God's able to do. How their belief in God has limited their beliefs about God and what God is able to do. From a religious activity standpoint, they set a high bar for themselves and they meet it. But there's something Wanting in their faith. I think what we see happening here is something Anne Lamott talks about. She says the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Certainty is missing the point entirely. I think this characterizes the teachers of the law. They have it down. They have this thing memorized, but Jesus finds something lacking in their faith. There are still questions about who God is, and it's causing them to miss the fact that God is standing right in their midst. If we're honest, this speaks to us as well, right? We identify with this group, whether we want to or not. We show up every week. You showed up today to pray, to sing, to hear a sermon, to take the Eucharist meal, to fellowship with one another We read our Bibles during the week. We say the prayers we're able to say. But then we run into a situation that doesn't go our way. And suddenly we're not sure what we believe. 
Suddenly we're not sure who God is or what God's about. We find ourselves disillusioned, disoriented, and we start deconstructing who God is because God hasn't kept the end of the bargain that we made with ourselves. Now let me be clear this morning, I'm throwing no stones living in a glass house. There's nothing wrong with this process. It's really descriptive of life, and it's very normal. The good news for you and me, though, is that God, in the person of Jesus, walks into the crowd. He walks into this story, and he invites you and I and them to trust him in a new kind of way. The good news is that being disillusioned or disoriented or deconstructing doesn't make God smaller. It makes God bigger. So don't hear me saying they lack faith. But here the, the challenge is to assess, assess whether our faith means is the end or whether it's the beginning. Is our certainty the begin, the end, or is it the beginning? There's a God we can know intimately through prayer, and that's what Jesus is inviting us to. Again, to be completely clear here, faith and belief that is characterized by participation in Christ-centered community is good and it is helpful. And we say amen. Come to church. And we say amen. The invitation is to not let that be the ending point, but to let that be the starting point, a trailhead to follow Jesus, to be alive into the activity that he's drawing us into every day and every moment. I believe Jesus is inviting us to break apart our certainty and the hardness that creates. And that's a helpful process to be invited into the true nature and power of who God is. And we get there through prayer. Catch what Jesus says. Everything is possible for one who believes. In other words, friends, just simple, plain belief opens up this world of possibility not certainty. And friends, this is more than wordplay. This is an invitation from the Holy Spirit to stop limiting God to the thoughts you're able to think. Stop limiting God to the things you're able to understand. Don't limit God to to what you can comprehend with your mind. Just respond to Jesus the way this Father does. I believe. Help. Help my unbelief. The invitation this morning is for the real thing. It's for Jesus in the flesh standing before this group. God in a body dwelling among them. And we have that same opportunity today. We can settle for a faith of certainty or we can hold our hands open and have an alive, active faith that's initiated and animated by a life of prayer and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in our midst So the question to examine here is, is God getting smaller or bigger? Is God getting smaller or bigger? Are you getting more certain about God? Or is God opening your heart and your mind and creating a spaciousness to be filled by the thoughts and the ways of God? And friends, this morning, prayer is the invitation to create that space with God. The second posture we need to examine this morning is a posture of works or deeds. We see another group in the story. We see in this passage disciples. 
And the disciples' posture could be described as performance. Performance. If the other guys are piety, these guys are performance. These guys are experience and activity focused. They're a, a, a zealous group with their activity. We see them taking Jesus seriously. And again, that's a good thing. They're doing what he asks them to do. They've taken him at his word. And while he's on this mountain, they're trying to do what he told them to do. They're doing their part. If the teachers of the law are book smarts, they are street smarts. See, they've been with Jesus. They've seen miracles. They've even gotten to do miracles themselves. And so similarly, they're pretty sure about who God is. They're pretty sure. Just a few verses before, Peter has confessed in their midst, you are the Christ. We know you're the one who was sent. Scripture confirms. But where this group is stuck is the whole death and resurrection thing. They don't want to see God's plan all the way through. That's bothering them. So they're stuck there. And so when we come to this story and they're unsuccessfully trying to cast this demon out, Jesus steps in and does it. And then they go away and they ask him, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we cast it out? Maybe you're thinking about a time right now where a situation didn't go the way you thought it would or where you wanted it to go maybe you're sitting in this room right now asking god that question why is fill in the blank happening or maybe you're asking about a past experience why did fill in the blank happen and it's caused you to hold jesus at bay it's caused you to not trust or believe that he's the real thing And what I think is going on here is that Jesus is just inviting them to take another step deeper into the reality that they have an end, but God does not. And friends, we have the same invitation this morning to see ourselves as limited and to live within those limits. And that's a countercultural thing. Our culture doesn't like it when we say, I can't. Our culture doesn't like it when we say, I don't know. But hear the invitation from Jesus when he says, this kind can only come out by prayer. It's an invitation to say, I can't, but you can. I can't, God, but you can. Now again, Jesus is not saying they did anything wrong. From all appearances, they were trying to be helpful, just as Jesus had told them. So effort or work, these things are not at issue here. But here's the reality for all of our lives. There are just some things that only God can do. The characters in this story, in us, just like the disciples, go wrong because they try to be Jesus. We read the scriptures and we put ourselves as that character in the story. We want to be the ones bringing healing and wholeness to the situations in our life. We want our life to look just like we want it to look. We try to white knuckle things. We pray. We believe rightly. And then we are frustrated and we are angry and we are wondering, why, God, can't I fix this? Why didn't it work when I did it? And it's because some things are not meant For our fixing. And just like certainty 
gets in the way of our faith coming alive. Sometimes our faith can't come alive because our works start getting in the way and we start edging God out. So the invitation this morning to pray, it's not an invitation to stop believing. It's not an invitation to stop doing. It's an invitation to trust. Margaret Silf, in her book, The Other Side of Chaos, tells this story. I found it related here. There was once a circus performer who made a living by pushing a wheelbarrow across a high tightrope that spanned an abyss. And the crowds would come out in droves to watch him and cheer him on. Do you believe I can do it? He would ask. Oh yes, we believe you can do it. They would exclaim back. And then he would say, so who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? And silence fell. The invitation this morning from Jesus, friends, to the disciples and to us is to get in the wheelbarrow. To trust that the things we can't do, Jesus certainly can. So here's the question to examine. Is prayer your first response or your last resort? Is prayer your first response or is it your last resort? I believe, friends, that if prayer became our first response, we'd get to experience the real thing. We'd know the Jesus that was walking amongst this group that day. We'd know the Jesus who comes near, the Jesus who, in this story, heals the boy in spite of everything going on in this moment. So the application this morning is to pray. Pray. How? I'm glad you asked. Well, maybe you find yourself identifying with the first group this morning, the teachers of the law. Maybe your faith, you would describe it right now as cold or stale or rigid, fundamental. Maybe you find your certainty is clouding out the immense possibility that Jesus has to offer. And I'd invite you this morning to a prayer of unknowing. Pray to unknow. Pray in a way that says, Jesus, I'm willing to set down certainty. I'm willing to set it down for a moment to see what God has for this situation. I'm willing to unknow some things so that I can more fully and truly know the real thing. Jesus, who's come near. Now maybe you find yourself this morning identifying with the second group, the disciples. Maybe you find your works are wearing you out. You're exhausted. You're tired. You're at your end. You find yourself burned out and you're asking the question, why isn't it working? I do that prayer thing, Pastor Benjamin. It's not working. I'd invite you to pray in a way that sees your posture go from white knuckled to open hands. Pray in a posture that characterizes you are completely and totally willing and able to depend on God alone. Pray in a way that says, God, I can't, 
but you can. Maybe you didn't identify with either group this morning and you more readily identify with the man who brought his son to Jesus or even the son. Maybe you felt the desperation in his voice and in his actions. And you might be asking, how should I pray about these things? Well, the best kind of prayer for this situation is the one you can say. Or not say. The best kind of prayer is the one that responds where Jesus says in the story, bring him to me. So it's a prayer that just brings it to Jesus. Begin there. Bring whatever it is, however you're able, to Jesus. And what I've tried to say several different ways this morning is, Prayer is simply our way of actively expressing trust in Jesus. It's just saying, Jesus, I can't, you can. And so then in this way, prayer can be experienced in almost anything we do. And this is good news. So this means you can pray alone. This means you can pray out loud. This means you can pray with no words. This means you can pray with Rachel on Zoom very early in the mornings on Tuesdays. This means you could pray through singing. This means you could pray in conversation with others. This means you could pray in conversation with yourself. You can pray while you're driving. You can pray while you're walking. You can pray on a bicycle or a scooter. You can pray while you're washing your dishes or while you're cooking. You can pray while you're painting or while you're coloring. And I could go on and on here. The point is, anything, anything in your life that you're actively yielding and continuously expressing to Jesus that I trust you with whatever you give me at any given time is prayer. All of it. Everything. And here's why. Because ultimately prayer is where we remind our hearts that God is with us. It's where we remind our hearts that God is with us. Friends, true is true is true is true. And it is true that God is with you and God is for you. And I recognize that if you're like me, you probably forget that from time to time. But the power of prayer is that you have direct access to Jesus. You have direct access access to the real thing. No phoniness. So friends, the invitation again this morning from Jesus is to be reminded of these realities. Be reminded that He is the tangible, visible expression of God's heart to dwell with His people. And maybe your heart, like my heart, needs to be reminded who this Jesus is. Jesus, in this story and on every story, on every page of this book, is the Son of the God who had an ultimate plan to redeem and restore and renew everything in the world. Jesus, friends, is in fact God in a body. That Jesus that we read about this morning did in fact come and walk among people. That Jesus did in fact fulfill every prophecy ever written about Him. 
that Jesus did caused the lame to walk, the dead to rise, the blind to see, the lame to move, the mute and deaf to speak and hear. And He identified with us in every way possible, in every way possible, in every way possible, He faced an unjust arrest, betrayal, and death, was left alone, alone, and dead, dead in a tomb. But the good news this morning, friends, is the story didn't end there. So the question for us is, do we believe that that Jesus was resurrected or not? Because if that Jesus was resurrected, then that means that death and everything else was emptied of its power. And that's the Jesus we come to. Friends, Jesus on these pages invites you and I to trust through the power of the Holy Spirit. He invites us to walk with him in this life and the next. This isn't just a promise for a world to come. He's making all things new right now and He's inviting you just like He invited this Father to bring it to Him. Whatever it is, bring it to this Jesus. This Jesus is the one we're asked to trust in, friends. And by grace through faith, faith this morning, my prayer is that you would believe or believe again. Truly believe. Trust Jesus. The power of prayer is we have direct access to that Jesus. And the best news is wherever that Jesus is, healing is taking place. The teachers of the law believed to a point. The disciples believed to a point. The man believed to a point. We believe to a point. So how will we respond to the invitation of Jesus to trust beyond that point? When it doesn't work the way we wanted it to. So the final question for us this morning is, where do I need to trust Jesus? Where do I need to trust Jesus? What is He asking you to bring to Him? I'm going to close this morning in a bit of a different way. I want us to use our bodies, our singing, our praying, all of it to, to finish this work and seal this work in us. So Rachel's going to come and lead us in a hymn. This hymn is probably familiar to you. It's called, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Now this hymn was written by a woman named Louisa M. R. Stead, who was born in the 1850s. She dedicated her life to missionary service at the age of 21 and a few years later ended up being married and having a daughter. When her daughter was four years old, on a sunny day at the beach, they heard the cries of a drowning boy. And her husband rushed into the water to save the boy and right in front of Louisa and her four-year-old daughter drowned with the boy. And in this terrible tragedy, this unimaginable circumstance. These words came out of her, why to God? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take Him at His Word. So often moments like this in our lives, we're like the dad and the boy or this story of Louisa, we're asking why And these are the places Jesus wants to meet us in prayer. 
So as we sing these words together in response, stand, sit, sing, don't sing, journal, open your hands, whatever's comfortable for you. But I want you to consider what Jesus is asking you to trust him with this morning because if we're honest, all of us are being asked by Jesus to trust him with something. And if it's bubbled up yet or it's still coming, let it come. And let us sing that he is a God worth trusting. Trust in